0: My name is Jessica. It's so good to have you all here with us today. Um, I will be reading from John 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels seated in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, what a glorious day it is. God, thank you for sending your son to die and endure what he did. May we be able to pause and, re- and stop today as we celebrate all that you did for us, Jesus. Thank you. We love you. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful reading that is of that first Easter morning. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E Free Church. If you're joining us in the venue, welcome to you. If you're joining us online at Carney E Free Church, we extend a special welcome to you as well. Uh, so good to be together here on this Easter morning, isn't it? What a joy. What a joy to be here for Resurrection Sunday. Y'all look good. You clean up okay. Not bad. I put on my Best, if you come here on a future Sunday, I won't be this nice, sorry. But uh, this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, what a joy it is for us, and uh, we, we bring our very best to God as we get the joy of celebrating kind of like the biggest day of the year for Christians. That's what Resurrection Sunday is. It's the biggest day of the year for Christians. It's the day that validates everything that we believe Hey, if you are a newcomer here today, we we do, we extend a special welcome to you. If we can help you in any way get connected, please use that communication card or, or talk to someone out of the information table. We know that people come from all different backgrounds, they come to church on Sunday morning, especially on an Easter Sunday, and wherever you come from or whatever you believe today, you are welcome here. We want you to know you're welcome here, and it's a joy to, to be together, to, to study, to learn, and, um, and, and just to reflect a bit on this beautiful message. My guess is you've heard a fair number of Easter messages before. Is that true for anyone in this room? Okay, a few of us. You can talk back to me. It's okay. All right. I've given a fair number of Easter messages before. And uh, there's a certain, like, fear that I feel as I come to Christmas messages or Easter messages that, like, you already know how the story ends. And when you already know how the story ends, sometimes familiar- familiarity can breed contempt, they say. But I think more likely what familiarity can do is kind of breed a yawn. And so I'm going to do my very best not to make you yawn today, and you do your very best not to yawn at me today, Okay. This is a familiar message, I know that, and as I've uh, kind of thought about the messages that I've given over the years on Easter Sunday, I've noticed that I've tended to speak on one of a couple different topics. One of them is the hope of Christ that is found on Easter morning, another one is the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And I believe strongly in both of those that we have hope this morning that suffering doesn't have the final word. We have great hope this morning, whatever you're going through today, suffering does not have the final word, because he lives, so also we shall live, okay, because he conquered death. There's this promise that death is not the end for us who trust in Christ, and that's really good news in a world of suffering and evil and violence. I also believe strongly today in the resurrection of Christ in fact, I think there's, there's great historical evidence to believe that what we're talking about here though, this morning ain't no fairy tale. But it actually happened that in time and space, Jesus Christ was crucified on a hill called Golgotha on Friday afternoon that he died and he was buried in a very well-known tomb by a well-known wealthy man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And people knew where his tomb was. And yet that tomb was empty on the third day. And one of the surprising realities of the Easter narratives and all the Gospels is the first witnesses and the first proclaimers of the resurrection, as we just heard in that reading though this morning, the first witnesses and proclaimers were women, which you would not make up if you were making up a story in a culture that didn't value the testimony of women. Okay, like there's good historical evidence for the resurrection and the fact that their lives were transformed over the next 50 days. Believers and skeptics alike heard the message and saw Jesus Christ bodily raised far from the dead and their lives were transformed. You know, I really believe that if you, If we drop our philosophical bias against miracles that many of us have, the resurrection of Jesus has the very best evidence for what happened that Easter weekend. We have good reasons to believe in it. Now those are two great topics, but I'm actually not going to preach on either of those this morning. Those are great topics for a future Easter message, but I want to take us in a different angle entirely today. And I want to speak with you just for a few moments today on how the resurrection of Christ leads us to freedom. How the resurrection of Jesus gives us a newfound freedom. Have you noticed that cancel culture is everywhere today? Anybody? It's all over the place today. Like it comes on hard from the political left and it comes on just as hard from the political right. Right? That one misstep and you fear that you'll be canceled by your realms of influence. Cancel culture comes on hard today by the terminology police. It feels like people are watching over your shoulder to be sure you say all the right words in just the right ways. And if you don't, you might get caught and there might be a consequence. We feel it even sadly in our families nowadays. The number of people that I've spoken to over the past four or five years just say, things have changed in my family. It's like I might get canceled out if I'm not progressive enough, or I might get canceled out if I'm not conservative enough. And the result collectively in our culture today is we kind of feel like we are walking on eggshells. Is anybody with me here this morning? That this is how we feel in our culture today because of cancel culture and this fear of judgment at every turn. There's this man in the Bible who knew those mountains of praise from people. And he knew the valleys of rejection from people very well. And he built churches and he wrote books, but, but also he was rejected by friends and family members and he lost much as he came to faith in Christ because of the resurrection as an adult. And even so, in the midst of that rejection, he found a passport to freedom, and it was the resurrection of Christ. His name is the Apostle Paul, and we've been studying one of his books together as a church. If you come back here next Sunday, we'll be in this book together. It's called 1 Corinthians. He's been writing to this church in Corinth, Greece, which is one of the most philosophical societies this world has ever known, and he's trying to persuade them, and he's helping them focus uh, this morning on the freedom that we have because of all that Christ has done. Listen now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This, my friends, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now, his point there is that you and I, each of us, have been given a trust by God. We've been given certain talents and intelligence and abilities, and all God requires of us on that is not success. In other people's eyes, it's faithfulness before God. It's required that we must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of every heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, the, the freedom that Paul is writing about here, freedom before other people, freedom in our hearts with respect to the way we tend to judge ourselves, that freedom is based on what we're celebrating today. It's based on the resurrection of Christ because God said and did what he did and then he backed it all up by rising far from the grave. We have freedom. I want to talk about three different ways from this passage and out of the resurrection that we have freedom today. I hope you'll stick well with me as I unpack each of these. The first one is this. We are actually free from the fear of human judgment. Because the resurrection is true, we can be free from the fear of human judgment. Now, the word for judge that Paul used repeatedly in the passage that I just read literally means to scrutinize. Don't you hate when people do that to you? When people look at you with a certain stank eye and they scrutinize your every word and movement. Imagine you're starting a business, and that business gets off to a good start after a few years, You're doing quite well in the business and you finally get a much-earned vacation. You decide to take two or three weeks away and as you're away, you get word from one of your co-workers that the assistant managers are kind of rising up and they're sizing you up in order to cut you down and elevate others in your place. That's basically what the Apostle Paul is going through in his context here. He has planted, he has started this church in Corinth, And after serving it for a couple years, he left to go start another church. And as he leaves to start other churches, insiders and outsiders alike are sizing him up in order to put him down and to elevate others in his place over the venture that he started. They'd be the folks in the church, you might say, who want to have the pastor for lunch. They don't want to have the pastor over for Sunday lunch, they just want to have the pastor for Sunday lunch, if you know what I'm saying. I'm so grateful I don't serve a church family like that. But what does this kind of comparison usually do to us? If you're anything like me, it just kind of has a way of stopping us in our tracks. It, it, it just like prevents movement. It prevents us from moving forward with any kind of confidence whatsoever in our lives. It even makes us question our place in this world. And so my question is, like, what do you do when you're facing that kind of shame? When you're facing that kind of judgment from cancel, cancel culture all around us? Please notice what the Apostle Paul did. Would you read this verse out loud with me? 1 Corinthians 4.3, please join me. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court It is the Lord who judges me. Wow. I heard you over in the venue. Thank you. Wouldn't you love to believe in that? Like, not just say those words, but to believe those words. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. It's the Lord alone who judges me. This is a man who's living by a different scorecard altogether. He's reminding us that we don't need to size others up in order to put them down and we don't need to earn human approval because we got God's approval. And the fear of man is always, it's always been a trap. The fear of women has always been a trap but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. And because the resurrection is true, we can trust in the Lord and what he says about us and we can be freed from all of the human tribunals that have a way of pulling us down. A second form of freedom that I see out of this passage is freedom from the ache of self-judgment. I don't know about you, but when I've gone through times where other people are criticizing me or scrutinizing me, when I get that from the outside, it becomes really easily for me to start criticizing myself. I start to feel it internally. It might start externally, but then I start to go to this place that I say, maybe it's true. Maybe the things that they say about me are true. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm weak. Maybe I am the problem here. Anybody else? Okay, two hands for me on your behalf. Okay, (laughs) okay. And if you feel that sometimes, that ache of self-judgment that can come to us as a response to the judgment that we oftentimes get from others, or maybe you're just really harsh on yourself, I need you to listen to what Paul says here. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. I don't allow you to judge me, and also, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord alone who judges me. He's saying, of course I've made mistakes. I've sinned. And I've apologized to you when I've sinned, he would say to his church. And I've sinned before God and I've apologized to him and he's forgiven me. And therefore my conscience is clear. And I can relax a little bit. I can chill out a little bit from all this self-condemnation that we have a way of falling into. My conscience is clear before God. In other words, he's saying, I don't really care that much what you think about me. And I don't really care that much what I think about me either. I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me. And I have a very low opinion of my opinion of me. Because I have one God. And I know what his opinion of me is. And my sense of self rises and falls on his opinion of me. And I'm free from other opinions because I live before an audience of God alone who died and he rose again and the grave is empty. Amen. You see, these are the implications of resurrection truth. You begin to live with the newfound freedom, and perhaps you've had a failure of some sorts that's kind of like emblazoned a scarlet letter across your chest, and it's been so significant to you that it's been really, really difficult for you to forgive yourself, and you say, I understand that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. It's been too much, and it's defined me for too long. You think about that woman Mary Magdalene that we heard her story. Well, let me tell you a little bit about her story before she she sees the resurrected Christ before she's the very first witness and the very first proclaimer of the resurrected Christ. You know what she was first? She was a demon-possessed woman. Outcast anyone? Self-hatred anyone? This was Mary's lot in life. It was one of self hatred, it was one of being an outcast wherever she went. On top of that, church history seems to indicate that quite likely, not only was Mary a demon possessed woman, but also she was a prostitute. Outcast anyone? Self hatred anyone? And yet she experiences the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ, that Jesus says, I will forgive you, Mary. In fact, I will die for you and I will rise again to validate your confident trust in me. And so she begins to stand firm, learning full well, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free, therefore I can stand firm. And you think Christ can't forgive you. He forgave Mary of Magdalene of those sins and that kind of scarlet letter and whatever it might be we could go on and on with all kinds of stories in the Bible but the simple truth is Jesus came and died for your freedom it's for freedom that Christ has set us free therefore we stand firm I'm not talking here about political freedom in Galatians 5, which you see on the screen right now, is not about national freedom either. That is thinking too small. I'm talking about the freedom that comes from knowing I don't live before any other witnesses, I live before God. It's the freedom that comes from knowing I can obey God in everything regardless of what other people do because other people are not my judge and jury. It's the freedom that says, I will follow God's will in everything. And this is what he's given to us. If the resurrection is true, my friends, you can be free from that self-hatred, from that ache of self-judgment. You can be free from the fear of judgment From other people. And then finally, if the resurrection is true, I actually believe we can be free from the fear of death's judgment. Look at verse 5. Paul wraps up this way. He says, Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. By the way, wouldn't that be great if we all just followed that? Wouldn't that be great if every Christian just said, Oh, I'm going to go with that? Judge nothing before the appointed time. I will allow God to be God. And I will step out of the door of judgment myself. I'll allow him to do his job. Wouldn't that be great, my friends? That's another sermon for another day. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes and he'll take care of it. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each one will receive their praise from God. You see, what the Bible teaches is that one day Jesus will return to this earth and he will make all things right. He will turn over all evil, and there will be a day while when he returns and there will be no more war. There will be no more school shootings. There will be no more backbiting. There will be no more bullying. There will be no more slander. All of that evil will be overturned. And this is part of the hope that we have in the resurrection, that goodness has the final word. And the Bible is saying here that whether we meet Christ ourselves, friends, we, we need to wrestle with this, whether we meet Christ on the day that he returns to earth or after our final breath, Either way, what it's saying here is he will bring to light what is currently hidden in the darkness. Okay, you sit on that, and you consider it, that should make you tremble a bit. That God, who is the righteous judge, who has an A-plus standard, okay, not a B-minus standard like us, an A-plus standard will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. That should make us tremble a little bit of the fear of death. I love the way the great theologian Woody Allen put it years ago. He said, it's not that I fear death, it's just that I don't want to be there when it happens. I feel that a bit. We all feel that sometimes, and that's okay to feel that to some degree as we consider the reality of meeting the God of the universe. But my friends, what I, what I want to tell you is that if you trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross of good, of good Friday, your fear of death begins to melt. You just start to trust that the one who conquered the grave and says, those who trust in him shall live forevermore. As you trust him, your fear of death begins to diminish. Diminish. It began on Good Friday, and it culminates with Easter Sunday. And what began on Good Friday is the promise that God demonstrated his own love for you in this, that while we were sinners, while you and I were sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. He died to cover over every misstep that all of us have committed. His blood is sufficient to cover over all of that, and all we need do is come to the cross empty-handed and say, I receive your forgiveness, O God. I receive your love, O God. And then out of receiving that love, then we see that empty tomb and the reality of the resurrection, and friends, we become noticeably bold in the face of suffering or sickness or death. It actually can happen that we can grow in freedom in the midst of suffering, not fearing anyone, not even fearing death's judgment, because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Like in a a cancel culture such as ours, with eight billion witnesses out there, who seemingly like to play judge and jury, and three billion of them who have access to us on Facebook and Instagram every day. The thought of just stepping out of that. And say, I don't live by what you say of me. I don't look for your approval, and I don't fear your rejection. Indeed, I have confidence because I live before an audience of God alone and he says that I am a beloved child of God bought with the price of Christ's blood, brought into his family and nothing that I go through can take me out of his hands and so I trust in him. I'm not, I'm not telling you that like there's never going to be fear if you trust in the resurrection. That's to sell you snake oil. And I, I don't believe that. We, we are, we'll go through times of fear. But what I am saying is that if you believe this deep in your hearts, if you meditate on the truth of the resurrection and the reality of the Passion Week deep in your heart and you begin to believe it, some of those shackles of fear that we all have, they just start to loosen up. They just start to loosen up because Christ has been raised from the grave. And because the resurrection is true, Everything that Jesus says about your future is true. Because the resurrection of, tr- of Christ is true, you can let go of self-hatred. You just let, let go of that. What Jesus says about you is true. Because the resurrection is true, you can be free from all those human courts of opinion and just live before an audience of God. Because the resurrection is true, I even believe that if you're sick today, if you're at the end of your life, if you're facing death, and frankly, all of us are facing death, aren't we? We don't know when it's gonna come. But because the resurrection is true, we can sing along with the Apostle Paul as he wraps up this beautiful letter, this little book to the Corinthians. He says this, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your victory? is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ who's conquered the grave and he lives forevermore would you pray with me I want to live in freedom, God. So good to know this. It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Therefore, we need not take on any yoke of shackles, any slavery to human opinions ever again. We can stand firm in God and follow him alone. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Father God, that you gave your son to identify with us to love us to meet us where we are even to die for our failures and you don't leave us in a wish there you don't leave us hoping and pining but you validate our trust in you now that we can become noticeably more bold because Christ has conquered the grave and he lives forevermore. and so Father I'm asking for all my friends in this room that you would give us a deeper reality of the freedom of God. That we don't have to live before people. We can live before God alone. And we don't have to constantly criticize ourselves. We don't have to fall into this self-loathing that we get into. We can let go of our sins and failures. We can let go of our weaknesses and know that to you, those weaknesses and those failures do not define us. We can stand in the value that you give to us, God. Would you help us to stand in the value that you give to us? Father, would you grant us your freedom? We love you. We thank you that you died and you rose again in Jesus Christ with all power to give us freedom even today. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen.